So you might uh, see this picture behind me and wonder what on earth I've got it up there for. So in 2003, the tiny English town of Brattleby in Lincolnshire started to experience a plague, uh, but not the sort of plague we're familiar with. No, this was a plague of garden gnomes. From 2003 to 2013, the residents of Brattleby would often wake up to find their gardens, garages and bus shelters had been invaded overnight by little bearded men with pointy hats. I've got another photo as well. I'm too heavy handed. It's not. Can you just go one slide forward? Great. Ah, in 2005, the parish council chairman, Mike Spencer, told the BBC, it's a bit of a mystery. It's such an odd thing to happen. This is my favorite part, it just really gets me. He said, I don't like gnomes. This is not a gnome sort of village. We're in a conservation area. <laughs> who it is remains a mystery. And no one knew who was orchestrating this gnome invasion until a local man Peter Leeton died in October 2013 and just before his death confessed that he and his son were responsible for the gnomes. Uh, for 10 years they'd been working with military precision to plot a route around town so they could deposit the statues without setting off alarms or walking on noisy gravel driveways. It was a, a deathbed confession of sorts. Now, confession isn't something that we think that much about in our lives. Uh, perhaps we've heard some deathbed confession stories. We might see criminal confessions in TV shows uh, or read about some celebrity confessing their love of carbohydrates or something. But as followers of Jesus, confession should have a central role in our lives and in our work with God, in our walk with God. Uh, last week and for the next couple of weeks, we're thinking about why we do what we do at church. So Mark last week celebrated the place of music and singing in our church service and how God engages our minds and our hearts through song. And today we're looking at confession, that thing we do every week near the beginning of church uh, when the service leader invites us to confess our sins knowing that our Heavenly Father is listening and has promised to forgive us when we truly repent. So what are we doing when we confess together? Why do we do it? Uh, perhaps it strikes you as a bit Roman Catholic, confessing our sins each week and then waiting for some sort of absolution from a priest. I mean, if you have any sort of familiarity with the Christian faith, it's a central belief that Christ died for our sins once for all. And when we turn to him in faith, we're forgiven. So what's with this continual confession, week in and week out? Is it even biblical? From another angle, perhaps you wonder if confession maybe isn't very good for our self-esteem. All this focusing on our guilt and where we fall short. Surely it'd be better to focus on God's love for us and the inherent worth of every person instead of drawing attention to our weaknesses again and again. After all, saying confession together as a church isn't mandated in the Bible. 
We never see the early church in Jerusalem or Rome saying the words of a confession together. Uh, But I hope as we spend this short time meditating on the place of confession in church and in our lives, I will be persuaded that there is value and beauty in it. After all, confessing is something that God's people have been doing throughout history. There are lots of prayers and confession of, of confession throughout Scripture, so both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, as God's people have confessed their sins uh, in personal and in corporate prayers. Uh, for a start, the Psalms are full of them, with faithful Israelites confessing their sin and guilt to the Lord, uh, like in Psalm 51, which we'll come back to in a moment. Daniel, from our recent sermon series... Uh, He prays a prayer of confession in Daniel chapter 9. And he cries out to God on behalf of the people of Israel, saying, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. And then Ezra who was a leader of the Jewish people after the return from exile in Babylon, also prayed in confession on behalf of the people. Uh, After tearing his clothes and sitting on the ground all day to express his grief and shame, uh, Ezra prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you, because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Uh, Then in the New Testament, of course, our Lord Jesus himself taught us to pray to our Heavenly Father, forgive us our sins. So I'm going to answer three questions as we think about why we do what we do in confession. Firstly, why do we confess? And then why do we confess together? And finally, why do we confess every week? So first of all, why do we confess? Uh, In some ways, this is perhaps the most straightforward question to answer, but it's also probably where our hearts need the most convincing. Uh, To understand why we confess, we need to acknowledge who we are and who God God is. And Psalm 51 is a helpful place to start. Uh, The title of the psalm tells us that King David wrote wrote it as a confession after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, although the word adultery glosses over the terrible crimes that David is confessing. The story of David and Bathsheba is a dark story of rape, deception, and murder. Uh, Bathsheba was already married to one of King David's highest-ranking commanders, Uriah. And so after David had raped her and found out she was pregnant, he had Uriah killed in battle. And after all this had happened and David had taken Bathsheba as another wife, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan confronts David with his sin. And it's only then that David finally confesses, I have sinned against the Lord. He says the same thing to God in verse 4 of Psalm 51. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
Not that David is downplaying his sin against Bathsheba or Uriah or the others who he involved in his evil plans. But David recognises that primarily his decisions and actions stem from rebellion against God. Like David, our default position against God is one of rebellion. Although God is the rightful Lord and ruler of all creation, we prefer to rule our own lives. Uh, Like that famous line in the poem by uh, William Ernest Henley called Invictus, and the line is, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. We kind of like the sound of that, don't we? In theory, it sounds pretty good. Calling the shots, plotting our best course for ourselves, until we realise we're not actually the best judge of what's best for us and for others. God is. Our loving God has designed the world and has shown us that the way to live life to the full is walking alongside him. But instead, we follow our own desires, uh, which ultimately lead to us hurting ourselves and others and abandoning God. Well, David was aware of this. He knew that his whole life was one of rebellion against God, uh, what the Bible calls sin. And he says in verse 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Uh, These verses are sometimes used as support for the doctrine of original sin. So this doctrine that says that all humanity is sinful from conception. Uh, That's not primarily what these words are doing. Rather, David is emphasising that his entire attitude toward God has always been a sinful, rebellious one. There's nothing good in him that will convince God to be merciful. He knows that he's corrupted, imperfect and selfish, and that's never been any different throughout his entire life. Every one of us has thought, said and done things that we're ashamed of. It's not a comfortable thought, but it's true. I look, at, I look back at some parts of my life with regret. Regret for the people I've hurt, the situations where I should have acted, the hateful words I've spoken, uh, the wrong motives with which I've acted. Now, I wouldn't think of myself as an evil person, which I'm sure is the case for the vast majority of people, but God is perfect and holy. And scripture tells us again and again that he won't put up with evil forever. He will judge it and destroy it. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, not sure if I said that right, but he was a Russian novelist in the 20th century who spoke against communism and political repression in the Soviet Union. He spent eight years in a Soviet forced labour camp and although he lost his Christian faith as a young man later in life, he gradually returned to faith. Through his experiences in prison, uh, he came to realise and recognise the true nature of evil. And he said, "Uh, if only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line of dividing good and evil 
cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? Evil lies in the depths of our hearts. We are sinful, full of shame and guilt and deserving of God's judgment. And while this is true, it's not the whole truth. Our Father doesn't leave us to wallow in sin and guilt. Confession is only worthwhile doing at all because we confess to a God who is merciful. And not a mercy based on who we are, thankfully, but based on who God is. David was a rich, powerful king. He was a successful military commander. God even calls him a man after his own heart. Uh, But in verse 1 of Psalm 51, David confesses not on the basis of how good he is, but on the basis of who God is. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. We worship a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is the same God in Jesus who was gentle and gracious with the woman accused of adultery. The same God in Jesus who offered friendship and salvation to the greedy and self-righteous. And the same Jesus who held out forgiveness after Peter, one of his best friends, betrayed him just before his death. And so we can have utmost confidence that our God is full of unfailing love and great compassion for us as well when we come to him in faith to confess. That's all summed up beautifully in our New Testament reading from 1 John. Our God is light. There's nothing dark or evil in him. And so if we claim to be Christians, to walk with God, we also walk in the light. Of course, we don't always do this perfectly. But when we do it imperfectly, relying on Jesus, like it says in verse 7, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. I love the, um, the reality and the beautiful grace in these verses. In verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we deny our sinfulness, we're just delusional. But verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we confess because the act of confession reminds us of our complete dependence on God. By ourselves, we're dead in our sin, but our good, loving God has compassion on us and died for us so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to him. So that leads us to our second question. What's the purpose of confessing together? Why do we have to say it in sync at church? Now, we don't have to. Um, The liturgy, that's the way that we do things in our church service. The Anglican liturgy isn't laid out anywhere in the Bible. But I do think that there's real value in praying words like these to our Heavenly Father and praying them as a group. Uh, Going back to 1 John, the Apostle John talks about our fellowship with God and then in verse 7 he says about our fellowship with one another, if we walk in the light 
as God is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So walking with God isn't just a solitary one-on-one walk. It's a walk in fellowship with others who follow Jesus. Uh, When I was in high school, I did the Duke of Edinburgh's award program. So if you haven't heard of it, it's a program that encourages young people to serve their community and improve themselves. And the bit I always enjoyed the most was the multi-day bushwalking and camping trips that we did. There was a group of six or seven of us who always went together. And each day of the trip, as we were walking, we'd talk and sing uh, and often just walk silently together marvelling at the scenery or the birds that we could hear. If one of us was unwell or injured, we'd redistribute our packs so that that person didn't have to carry as much. We'd take turns leading with the map and compass, although some of us were better at it than others. I wasn't particularly good at it. Uh, We'd encourage one another to keep going. When we had to climb cliffs or cross rivers, we'd all work together to make sure that everyone got up or across safely. This is a little like what we do when we walk in fellowship together as a church. Life with Jesus is about walking alongside Jesus, but it's also about walking with our family in Christ. We're on the same track, heading for the same goal of becoming more like Jesus, helping, protecting and encouraging one another as we go. And when we confess together, we get to do some of that mutual encouraging and protecting. Our shame and guilt are innately private things. They eat away at us and weigh us down. But when we join our voices together in the words of confession, we're reminded that all of us are broken in some way. All of us need God's forgiveness. And we can reassure one another that God's love is deeper and wider than even the darkest of sins. We've all done things that we'd prefer to hide, but confession doesn't let us do that. By pulling our sin out into the light, by giving it to God with our church family, our shame and guilt is exposed. And God promises to get rid of it, to forget it completely. Like we were assured of during confession today, with words taken from Psalm 103, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us in Jesus Christ our Lord. As we confess together, we're also encouraged to confess to one another. Even in the church, we know that we don't always act with love for one another. Uh, We can be spiteful, angry, resentful, proud. So as we confess together, we're invited to turn away from those thoughts and behaviours and to seek forgiveness from God and from one another. We're challenged to be open with one another about our sin so that we can remind each other of God's love and be reconciled in our relationships. So confessing together is about walking in fellowship with God and one another so that we can encourage one another in the truth and restore relationships with one another when we sin. 
So our final question, uh, why do we confess every week? Well, again, there's nothing in the Bible that says we need to pray the words of a confession in church every week. If you trust in Jesus, you can be certain that you're completely forgiven, washed clean and made new. So we do not need to regularly confess to ensure our salvation. But by confessing each week at church, we build muscles for a life of confession. A life where we rely on God more uh, each day. 1 John chapter 1 tells us that fellowship with God is about walking in the light. So it's not a sprint to the finish line, but a daily walk. A walk that can sometimes feel like a stagger or a trudge. And for this kind of marathon walk, we need muscles, habits and routines that grow muscles of pens of God. I plan to do a bath, not if you have a lot of training to do, you can build the muscles. You need to work in a gym, you do a lot of swimming and counseling so that you can make it to the finish line on race day. Growing in our relationship with Jesus also requires us to build muscle through daily practices to train us for the long walk of faith. And as we confess our sin at the week, we need to have it of confessing sins to our dear well. Every time that grow muscle depends on be more of a sinner's grace and how far fall short of his standard of perfection. And we realise more and more that only God can give us the strength to live in. So, why do we do what we do at church? We do confession at church because we know we're simple and God's holy. We see the word confession together with one another, God's love, we speak one another. We say confession we allow God's spirit to plant these words deep in our hearts, which builds our muscles for a lifetime, walking in dependence on God. Our next song that we're going to sing all together are more simply and beautifully than could. So let's stand and say, Mother,